Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. What's up, folks? Welcome in. Early edition of the Hardwood Handicappers podcast this week. And uh, what a day to do it because we have a lot going on in the NBA. Uh, Originally planned to talk about uh, some of the struggling teams, among them the Brooklyn Nets, also the Los Angeles Clippers. So we'll get to all of that and more. We begin uh, with quite the addition of what we usually do here at the start of the show, where we look at the top headlines throughout the league. Hardwood headlines. Well, it has been done. Um, the Brooklyn Nets, I laugh because this all came down relatively uh, uh, soon, or actually I'd say quickly. Um, the details surrounding the fact that Steve Nash has been fired as head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. I say that with a question mark in my voice because that is how it was reported by one Adrian Wojnarowski. Sham Sharanya of uh, Stadium has reported, and The Athletic, that uh, the Steve Nash and the uh, Nets have decided to part ways, which is, of course, wording does matter in a lot of these instances. And uh, I would speculate and think uh, that it is more of Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets deciding to go their separate ways as opposed to the Brooklyn Nets firing Steve Nash. Now, Nash was not the perfect head coach uh, at all. His rotations were a little weird sometimes. Thought his end of game management had some work to do. But he's also a first-time head coach, so those mistakes were going to come. But the fact that Nash didn't want maybe to be part of everything going on around the Brooklyn Nets does make some sense. Uh, and that is indeed corroborated by Nick Friedel, who covers the Brooklyn Nets uh, this year in the last two seasons for ESPN. Friedel tweeted out uh, about 40 minutes before we record start recording. Uh, Since January, Nash seemed increasingly tired of all the drama surrounding the Nets, but in recent days, it felt the decision was coming sooner rather than later. Nobody in the Nets organization can be surprised that this is the way things played out. So the wording there is obvious, uh, that Nash was essentially tired of everything happening and that he is going to go his separate way. So with that, Jacques Vaughn will take over as interim coach for the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, there's a lot that comes out of this, right? There is the increasing friction with Kyrie Irving and actually Fredell himself, for those who didn't see uh, the little back and forth between Kyrie Irving and a reporter at his media availability. I think it was, what, two or three days ago. That was Fredell on the other side of that. Uh, in pushing back on him and uh, posting the video that we all know has uh, been heard around the world when it comes to uh, Kyrie Irving. And we won't call it his beliefs, but what he decides to promote in the social media accounts. Regardless, that's neither here nor there. What we're talking about here on the 
on a, a sports betting podcast surrounding the NBA. It just seems that at the end of the day, whatever is happening around the Brooklyn Nets is uh, toxic with a capital T, and it is played out in terms of the results. This does not look like a team uh, that is just playing good basketball at this point right now. Uh, they did cover. Uh, they have one game in which they covered. They're one and six on the season. They did cover in a win over the Toronto Raptors. It was their second game of the season. They were two and a half point favorites. They ended up winning that game by four. But everything around this team has been poor from the environment to the outright performances. As of today, Tuesday, November 4th, uh, 1st at 11.07 a.m. Pacific time, uh, the Nets right now, 28th in non-garbage time off uh, defensive efficiency, 119.7 points per 100 possessions. Frankly, their offense has not been very good by their standards. They're 16th, and rankings don't really matter too much at this point of the season, but only averaging 113.9 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time minutes. Uh, is pretty average in comparison with the rest of the league. They're 16th overall, and they've been outscored by 5.8 points per 100 possessions. They're 2-5 and through the first seven games. Ben Simmons has not been performing up to snuff at this point right now, and he is injured too. Uh, This is just a team that has really, it seems at least, nowhere to go but south from here. And we'll get into the future of the Nets too momentarily because candidates uh, are already emerging, or a candidate has already emerged as uh, what is likely going to be the next head coach permanently for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, But it seems right now that this is not a team that you want to touch with a 10-foot pole when it comes from a betting perspective, season-long and on a day-to-day basis. I mean, even look at these last couple of games uh, that they have played here. The Indiana Pacers has been the opponent. Uh, The first game against Indiana, they give up a, a defensive rating of 133. The Brooklyn Nets do. They're absolutely atrocious. And you could say on the flip side, they come back. They win the game against uh, the Indiana in the rematch on Halloween. They win that 116-109. to Uh, However, the problem is uh, in that game, if you look at some of the shot quality data, it would suggest that Indiana had essentially an off night and should have performed better than they actually did. I just, when you look at this team right now, it is hard to invest in them positively in any way, shape, or form. And the market's starting to adjust a little bit, but not by much. You know, there's an example of it. They were 11-point favorites against Indiana in the first matchup. They closed to 7.5-point favorites in the second. But this is just something where we'll probably start to see the market adjust a little bit. The prices will start to get a little bit cheaper on the Brooklyn Nets, uh, be it as a favorite or or an underdog, whatever it is. But this team is not worth touching in, in any way at all. And it goes back to what I thought the preseason handicap was for this team. You know, anytime I was asked about it, it was always, hey, what do you think of the Brooklyn Nets? And as somebody who is so analytically driven and and really wants to use a lot of numbers, right, when it comes to his analysis of teams and what they could be, everything when it came to Brooklyn was was not like surrounded by data points. It was more or not, hey, man, is this team just going to keep it together from a mental standpoint? And right now, it seems like they are near the bottom when it comes to keeping this team together from an emotional and mental standpoint. So as we move forward, we'll see what this means. I think Jacques Vaughn's actually a really good coach. We saw him actually take over this team. If you remember when Kenny Atkinson got fired um, in the middle of that year, I think it was the COVID year. He's a really well-respected assistant that can coach up a lot of teams defensively. Uh, Whether Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are open to something like that remains to be seen, which also leads us to, what the reports are coming out now, at least in terms of the permanent candidate for head coach, and it wouldn't be Jacques Vaughn. Uh, Ime Udoka has quickly emerged as the Nets' top candidate 
to take over as head coach. And for those wondering, yes, Ime Udoka is still employed by the Boston Celtics despite being dis- uh, suspended for the year. Uh, but the Celtics, it's already been reported, would allow Ime Udoka to leave for another job. And it does seem like that is a marriage that is set to happen. The ridiculous thing about that is twofold. One, um, a team that is just like, it is just a black hole of off-court nonsense, we'll put it that way. I don't think the best move is to bring in a head coach who is currently serving a year-long suspension for inappropriate conduct with women in the workplace. Probably not the best place. Uh, to start for a team that is uh, really distracted by everything off the court, and that's not going anywhere anytime soon, uh, at least in terms of storylines when it comes to Yudoka, if he is indeed hired. And the other part is, I go back to this. I don't know if anybody remembers, like a year, last year during the Boston Celtics run to the post uh, to the NBA Finals in the postseason, you know, Yudoka comes across as like a hard nosed coach, and there are guys who respond to that. He famously walked into one of their huddles, the Celtics. During the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe, it might have been the, the Eastern Conference Semis against Milwaukee, and told them reportedly, quote, stop playing like a-holes, right? He's like a hard-nosed dude who doesn't really take a lot of guff, who expects a lot of his guys, at least in terms of effort on the defensive end. Is that a coaching style that is really going to work for Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant? Kevin Durant wanted Steve Nash as his head coach. They forced out Kenny Atkinson. And they went and got Steve Nash, and we already have Nash here wanting out. I just wonder, like, everything overall, it is a lesson to not give the entire thing over to the players. I mean, we're kind of starting to see it a little bit in Los Angeles in that, at least when it came to roster construction, really shouldn't trust a whole lot of what players want, right? LeBron ultimately signing off and wanting Russell Westbrook. We've seen how that works up to this point. And now you're seeing in Brooklyn – This is exactly what happens when you just 100% just give it over and say, whatever you guys want, we'll do it. And then they tried to play hardball, and it led to Kevin Durant wanting to get traded or wanting Steve Nash to get fired. Ultimately gets his wish here because Nash is not going to be there anymore. But this is an absolute mess now for the Brooklyn Nets. And these things matter when it comes to sports betting. Like, it does. I am not one. I am one to poo-poo situations, but I'm not one to poo-poo this, uh, which would be this team is in disarray. This team is bad, and I don't know if there is a savior coming in any way, shape, or form. Right, Seth Curry getting finally healthy is not changing anything defensively for Brooklyn, and it's not changing the off-court dynamics for Brooklyn. So it's a weird situation. Hey, but at least they're working out Carmelo Anthony. That was actually that was going to be one of the headlines. <laughs> one of the Harwood headlines uh, was going to be that the Brooklyn Nets were working out Carmelo Anthony, potentially bring him in, and uh, instead we're talking about how Steve Nash is getting fired. So that's the big story of the week, and it's going to continue. And as we get more details, we'll add to this. Uh, but right now, Steve Nash on his way out. Ime Udoka looks like on the way in. And actually, as I speak, uh, Sham Sharanya and Woj both reporting, uh, Brooklyn Nets plan to hire Ime Udoka as their head coach. Boston granted the Nets permission to speak Udoka and will allow him to leave freely. So I guess what the question is, I think because... Yudoka was serving a team suspension as opposed to a league suspension. That would mean that he would be available uh, right away when it comes to serving as head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. We'll see if uh, that uh, comes down in terms of the details on that. Uh, But regardless, Ima Yudoka is now going to be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. This is a fascinating situation out there uh, in Brooklyn. 
And I'm not sure if a guy like Ime Udoka is going to change it. And I'm not sure if guys like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are going to be open to what Ime Udoka brings to the table. Um, but that went really quickly. And it's pretty clear, too. I mean, given the fact that within hours of us finding out, actually within an hour of us finding out that Steve Nash was gone, that Udoka is already in, this had been bubbling behind the scenes for a while now. And the Brooklyn Nets um, took the steps very quickly to get this done. So, all right, we'll move on from there, uh, but big news. And we'll see if this uh, actually has anything um, positive to do with the Brooklyn Nets, who, by the way, uh, they are playing today. <laughs> They're playing the uh, the Chicago Bulls. So we won't go into the details of previewing that matchup, because by the time you listen to this, the game might be either underway or over. Um, but an incredible situation for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, other headlines that we wanted to get to. Um, let's go to Los Angeles because this is actually, I think, a, a low-key big deal that has kind of been flying under the radar uh, because we like to bash players when it comes to load management and rest and whatnot. And uh, Kawhi Leonard has been getting uh, beat up on social media for his lack of playing time. I know that one guy constantly tweets me because of my Clippers fandom, um, you know, mocking Kawhi Leonard as one of the best or worst players uh, in the NBA because of the time he takes off. Well, Kawhi Leonard has missed the last four games for the Los Angeles Clippers. This is not load management. This is something legitimate. And we get a report uh, early today, late yesterday, uh, that his status for the next two games, he is out. They have a two-game, the Clippers do, uh, Texas trip. They'll take on the Houston Rockets. They'll take on the San Antonio Spurs before coming back home for a game on Sunday against the Utah Jazz. He is not going to make that two-game trip, and his status for Sunday is unknown. That's coming back home against Utah. This Now, this is kind of troubling, right? So the report is, is that he is suffering stiffness in his surgically repaired knee. Um, Ty Lue was actually quoted, and this is the quote from him about um, Kawhi Leonard's mental makeup. Quote, he's, fr uh, he's frustrated. He wants to be out on the floor and then not being on the floor, and then now he can't travel. He wants to travel, but the doctor said it's not the right thing to do right now with the stiffness and what he is going through. End quote from Ty Lue there uh, to ESPN. So I think this is kind of a problem, right? I mean, look, Kawhi Leonard, for everybody who wants to talk smack about Kawhi Leonard and the load management, there's a reason why he is managed in terms of some of these injuries. He's got a chronic issue when it comes to uh, that quad injury that he suffered all a while ago. And this is something that has been managed by him and his team for a really long time. And now you get this surgically repaired knee that is giving him some stiffness early in the year. Uh, that is troublesome for a Clippers team that I thought was going to be and still can be the best team in the NBA, and it's even more troublesome given the disjointed start to the season for the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, it has not been good for Los Angeles from an offensive standpoint, from a cover standpoint. Right now, if you're talking about offensive efficiency in the NBA, the Los Angeles Clippers, 29th, 100.9 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time minutes. That's just 0 0.3 more points than the Los Angeles Lakers. Think about that, right? The Lakers um, are widely mocked because of what has happened with them and their offense. And it feels like we're not even talking about the Clippers that much because the Lakers, of course, are the bigger story. But the Clippers have been just as bad as the Lakers in terms of their offense. And it's eerily similar to last year. You know, when they did not have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, uh, this team really struggled on offense in that time that Paul George was out. When he finally came back, it didn't get much better, uh, but it did get a little bit better. And you even go back to the game the other day against the Houston Rockets that they played at home it was a better performance from L.A. They ended up winning the game, uh, but still, in that contest, just 96 was their offensive rating, and Paul George needs to show some more consistency because in this game, he was better, 
35 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, 15 to 26 from the floor, five to 10 from three point range. Um, but it's got to be more consistent from Paul George. And that's kind of the problem with George as a whole. And for this offense, there is really no go-to scorer. And to be quite fair, that's why I'm not really freaking out about the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, but the injuries have been part of this, right? George missed a game or two. Marcus Morris had some personal issues that he had to take care of. He was not out there. We know what's going on, obviously, with Kawhi Leonard uh, after playing in two of the first three games and missing four straight. Like That's kind of the thing that's happened here with Los Angeles. Availability has been a problem for them, but consistency has been a problem for them, too. You know, Paul George for three straight games. It was the game against Phoenix, the road trip against Oklahoma City. He only played one of those games and the home game against New Orleans. Uh, in those three games, we're talking about for him 13.3 points per game on 31% shooting. It's not going to cut it when you're the primary scorer for a team. And that's really going to cut into your team's offensive efficiency. He only shot in those three games 22.2% from three, four of 18 as a whole. That's not going to cut it. Uh, but he's got these outlier performances. The game against Sacramento, which they barely won by two, he scored 39 points, went 16 to 30 from the floor. Uh, excuse me, he scored 40 points. He had played 39 minutes and um, went three and nine from three-point range. And then coupled that with the Houston game, they are reliant on them. As much as he likes it or not, the Clippers are reliant on Paul George being a primary scorer at this point right now of the season. And he has to be more consistent in his efforts. Because if he's not going to, then this team, which is the second worst offensive team in the NBA at this point right now, has a lot of problems. And on top of that, you know, they're a team that does get market respect as they rightfully should. I mean, look at these last couple of games. By the way, they have failed to cover six consecutive games. And look at some of the numbers that they were laying in some of those, right? Against the Houston Rockets, they were nine-point favorites just the other night, and they only won that one 95-93. to Back-to-back games against Oklahoma City on the road, five-and-a-half and six-and-a-half-point favorites. One of those games, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard didn't play. And, of course, they failed to cover both of those because they lost both of those games outright. Against Phoenix at home, yeah, they closed as one-point underdogs in that game, but still uh, one point against Phoenix in an environment in which home court doesn't really matter. There's some respect there, power rated similarly to the Phoenix Suns, and what happens, they lose that game 112-95. to So this is a team that has some market respect. We're starting to see that shift a little bit here, uh, but this has been a very big problem for the Los Angeles Clippers. And here's the thing, because they have been an over team or an under team like crazy, a one and six to the under so far, partly because their offense has been so bad, but also because their defense still has been pretty good. And I think that's the positive that you're taking away here from the Clippers. And it's kind of, it's eerily similar to what's going on with the Lakers. The difference would be with the Lakers, they are not waiting for a Kawhi Leonard type player to come back fully healthy, right? And the Clippers are waiting for what at one point looked like to be a cinch for a top, 15 player in the league in Kawhi Leonard. We'll see what injuries do to him if he comes back fully healthy. Uh, but this team right now, the Clippers, they're sixth in defensive efficiency. They're only giving up 108.2 points per 100 possessions. That is something uh, that is really worked in their favor. They're defending without fouling. They're not forcing a lot of turnovers. In fact, they're dead last in defensive turnover rate, but they're playing really adequate defense. And if they can just somehow bring their offense up, that's going to work wonders. But at this point right now, I think it's it's a little worrisome because a lot of people would sit here and go, oh, it's fine, right? It's only November. But these games do matter, man. Like, it, we're, we're, what, seven games-ish into the season. Uh, these games do matter. And if you continue to mess around over the course of the next two weeks or so and you find yourself just a game below 500 while other teams in your conference continue to separate themselves from the pack, well, that's going to be an issue. And you see it right now. I mean, look, it, the standings are kind of weird. The one seed is Portland. 
The three seed is Utah. The four seed is San Antonio. These things are going to shake out eventually, uh, but these games do matter. And the the farther down the standings you fall as you continue to kind of mess around, Warriors are three and four too, by the way, um, the more that this is really going to matter as we kind of move forward into the season. So it's going to be interesting to keep track of here for the Clippers, but I think from an offensive standpoint, very big deal. The fact that Kawhi Leonard uh, has been dealing with this stiff knee and it does look like maybe that this is going to drag on for just a little bit longer. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. All right, so with that, we can move on from there. Uh, There was another piece. I actually wanted to point this out really quickly because I thought that this was uh, really interesting from a a write-up standpoint. Uh, ESPN's analyst, uh, Kevin Pelton, sorry, his name escaped me for a second. It was my notes were loading. Uh, Had a really great piece about NBA teams scoring at historic rates and tied it into the new rule around the take foul, right? You know, the take foul now, uh, no longer to do it. So instead, if you do indeed uh, get called for one of those take fouls in transition, it is a technical free throw the other way. Uh, He had a really interesting note here that not only uh, the transition take foul rule, uh, how about this? This This is nuts. So, According to Pelton, through Saturday, uh, there had been 32 transition take fouls called this season, an average of 0.4 per game. Those plays have contributed, as he says, to some degree to the increase in offensive rating. Teams have made 29 of the 32 penalty free throws, so that's 91%. Uh, And he also adds that after a technical free throw, because you get the possession, the 1.34 points foul teams have averaged on the subsequent possession. So you're, these teams are getting called for these take fouls. The other squad is getting the bucket at a 91% rate on the free throw and then coming back on the subsequent possession that they get and averaging 1.34 points. Uh, that's pretty crazy, right? So that means that each transition take foul is costing the team, as Pelton puts it, 2.25 points um, <laughs> per foul essentially uh, to this point. So we'll see once this regresses and teams start to get a little bit better at it. That's contributed to it. But this is the other thing that Pelton points out, and this is very, very important uh, when it comes to what we've seen. Because right now, overs hitting at a 57.4, 57.5 rate. Not anything like crazy historic, uh, but it is weird after what we saw last season, right? We remember overs, or excuse me, unders uh, had the lead for a really long time in the first month or so of the season. Overs now have taken that lead, but it's how efficiently these teams are scoring. Average offensive rating among teams in the NBA right now through these first uh, few days, 113 flat. That's really high for an average offensive rating. And as Pelton notes in his piece here up on ESPN, is that when you see through the first 12 games, it generally tends to carry as they move forward in that like 113 might not be the exact offensive average offensive rating for this season, but it's probably going to be really close to that. And if you look at it, uh, the average entering Sunday's games for teams, uh, 114 points per game. That is wild when you look at it. So from an offense rating standpoint, the efficiency is way up. From a points per game standpoint for each team, it is way up. Last season, 110 points per game um, was not actually a record. But we're starting to see that these offenses, 
they're pretty efficient to start the year. And I don't think a lot of people want to point to, oh, the defenses stink. The defenses are terrible. I, I don't really think that's the case, right? Because everybody likes to say nobody likes to play defense in the NBA. Uh, these teams or these athletes and these offenses, they're just really good at scoring, man. <laughs> like these players are getting better and better. And it is wild that we have seen that almost every single year, and this is the last point from Helton's piece, each of the last five seasons, highest offensive rating the first 12 days of the season. That record has been set since 1996, 1997, each of the last five seasons. So in other words, uh, it does seem that we are in for a high scoring type of season. And that does stick out too, by the way, like we talk about adjustments by odds makers. Uh, they, I don't know if you have noticed this, but when you're perusing a board for a day of action, these totals are really high. You know, take for example, today, Tuesday, we have Chicago, Brooklyn, whose total opened up 233 is currently sitting at 232. Golden State, Miami opened 227 is currently sitting 226 or 225 and a half. Orlando and uh, Oklahoma City, that's the lowest total on the board. It's 216. And those are two of the worst offensive teams in the NBA right now. Minnesota Phoenix opened 230 and a half or a 227 and a half. Totals are starting to pop uh, for tomorrow's action. Uh, excuse me, or excuse me, not for tomorrow's action. Um, we've seen in these uh, totals too, by the way, for the uh, Christmas games, I should note, we have some relatively high totals, the ones that have been posted for a while. Uh, but two of those games have totals over 225. Three of them have uh, totals over 220. Like we're, we're starting to see these adjustments now in the market. And we're going to see a little bit more of these. Um, but keep an eye on it. As these totals start to rise on a game-to-game basis, it'll be very interesting to see how much the adjustment is going to be. But these are some pretty high totals, and the scoring has been wild through the early portion of the NBA season. All right, so uh, with that, I wanted to keep this episode relatively short because uh, we're going to have another one on Thursday with Kelly Bidlin. We'll go over a lot. We'll do our usual rookie report and whatnot. But I wanted to hit on one more thing before we got out of here. And it was a first brief look at the NBA MVP market. Uh, I don't want to do what was last year, and it seems like every year, right? There's a lot of people who don't want to follow the league on a day-to-day basis, and it's a lot easier to just follow the MVP race. Um, and so that becomes a topic of conversation almost every single day that, uh, I pretty much have to answer all the time. Um, but I wanted to take my first look at this because I do think that there is a guy that deserves a ton of credit for what he has been doing. And I think it would seem is on his way to an MVP caliber type season. Um, we need to talk about what Giannis Antetokounmpo has done through these first few weeks of the season. The guy has been absolutely insane with what he has done from a scoring efficiency and what he's just doing with his team overall. So before they failed to cover uh, against Detroit, so now they're six and zero straight up, six and one, five and one against the spread through the first six games. Uh, before the failed cover against Detroit, they were covering games by five point six points per contest. Giannis has been absolutely insane with what he has done in terms of his offensive production it, it, when it comes to scoring, rebounding. Uh, and even assists for Giannis Antetokounmpo. But in the game the other night against Detroit, 32 minutes, he scores again, 31 points, only grabs seven rebounds. It's a, a season or season low for him so far. Two blocks and two assists for the season now. He is averaging 33.8 points, 12.8 rebounds, 5.2 assists on an absolutely insane 58.9% shooting from the floor. Um, and this is, and this is why I think he deserves... I think at this point, Giannis would be my favorite to an MVP. And again, I'm not saying like Paolo Bancaro. By the way, we we noted Paolo Bancaro Rookie of the Year the other day. We had Kelly on. He's up to minus 300 on the Rookie of the Year market. It's crazy. Um, I'm not saying that Giannis Antetokounmpo should be like odds on favorite minus 200 to win the award. 
I think he has the most likely chance of winning this award. Um, and I think that the market's not really accounting for that. And here's the thing why. Remember, they're missing their three, their top three small forwards still. So Giannis has taken this team by the scruff of its neck. Not that it's terrible by any stretch, but it's very beat up at one position. They are winning games consistently, and he has been performing at a wild level in terms of his scoring efficiency, in terms of his overall scoring. It has been nuts to watch this dude and what he's been able to do with Milwaukee. I'm just, I'm amazed by it. I'm amazed by watching him almost every single night and the way that he plays on offense and defense. And I think that makes up the difference between him and like a Luka Doncic, for example, because uh, Doncic has been absolutely fantastic uh, himself. And he, just like Giannis, his team is very reliant on his scoring. But, Jan, but Luka Doncic, too, to give you some of the numbers, 36.7 points per game, 9.5 rebounds, 8.7 assists. He himself has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, differences, you know, his team is 3-3 three and three as opposed to 6-0 and oh like Giannis. And his team, just like Giannis, though, is super reliant on him. And he's not – it's weird. We've seen this now for a couple of seasons. Uh, his shooting at the beginning of the year, at least from a three-point percentage, has not been the same. Uh, Luka right now is only shooting 22.6% from three. Uh, we'll see if that maybe starts to even out and he shoots a little bit better. Um, that would be the, I think, hole in his resume, right? Because he's performing at the same level almost essentially as Giannis. The difference is, is that he's shooting 22.6% uh, from three, and he's averaging 8.8 three-point attempts per game. Giannis is actually shooting about 34 35% from three. Not that it would come down to that. And Giannis is taking on a team that has a lot of injury issues. Uh, I think Luka deserves a ton of credit for what he's been able to do for the Mavericks here. But Giannis is the best player in basketball right now. He's leading his team to wins. They're at the top of their respective conference with, yes, only six games in. But I just think that when you've watched him play on both ends, and that makes a really big difference, his contributions on the defensive end of the floor, I think we need to start talking a little bit more about what Giannis Antetokounmpo has done so far this NBA season uh, because I think he deserves to be a favorite. And I do think as we look at everything right now, I am not going to say that we are starting to emerge like you know one or two candidates are going to win this thing, but – two, three guys. We'll, we'll, we'll factor in John Morant in there too because Morant has been scoring uh, at a really high rate as well, although I do think that Morant's shortcomings on defense are going to hold him back from winning this award, uh, mainly throughout his career, really. Uh, we'll see if maybe I'm proven wrong about that, but you, Morant as well, 33.3 points, 4.5 rebounds, 6.3 assists per game. I think Giannis's play on defense separates him. His team winning games separates him, and I won't say I would eliminate a lot of people, but I would also say if you want a dark horse candidate uh, for this award that has not gotten the market respect yet that he probably deserves, given the fact that his team could win quite a few games, 26.1 points, 9.6 rebounds, 7.4 assists this season so far, 47% shooting from the floor, 38.7% from three-point range. Pascal Siakam has been insane for Toronto. And the other night on Halloween, in 35 minutes, not efficient from the field by any stretch, 8-21, to 21, but another 30-point game. He scores 31 points, has 12 rebounds, 6 assists. He is doing everything for Toronto through seven games. Deserves a ton of credit. Looks a lot better as a passer. He's contributing defensively as well, averaging 0.7 blocks. He had two in the game over Atlanta. He's averaging a steal per game, essentially. Uh, Siakam's been otherworldly to start the year and you're still finding him in the range of 40 to one or so. I'm not sure what Pascal Siakam would do or need to do to win an award like this over the likes of Luka Doncic and Giannis Antetokounmpo. But if he continues this level of play, obviously he's going to be considered, 
And if Toronto finishes with a top three seed in the Eastern Conference, and it's largely because of what Pascal Siakam is doing, 40 to 1, 50 to 1, where he's out there right now, it might be a ticket worth grabbing just considering the fact that you could be sitting on that and he's going to shrink down to about 10 to 1 or maybe even shorter as the season progresses should he continue to play at the level that I believe he actually is capable of playing at this point right now. All right, we'll cut it short here. Uh, we'll come back, of course, on Thursday. Kelly Bidlin joins us. Uh, want to, of course, remind everybody uh, that you want to go to vcin.com slash subscribe. Check out the daily write-ups as well if you haven't, vcin.com slash JVT. Uh, we have a lot of content up there. And check out everything we have to do. I'm actually currently working on the college basketball guide as well. So make sure you check that out when that betting guide gets released. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Like, rate, review, subscribe. This Hardwood Handicappers podcast. Talk to you on Thursday.